Support for Today Explained comes from BetterHelp. What do you do when your social battery is drained? Do you push through and silently resent your friends? I'm laughing because maybe. Or maybe just scream into a pillow all night. I <laughs> don't do that. But if you do, that's fine. Not, not judging you. Therapy can help you build more awareness of what you need and when. BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy with licensed professionals. Scheduling is convenient and finding a therapist suited to your style is quick and easy. You can find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. You can visit betterhelp.com slash explain today to get 10% off your first month. That's better, H-E-L-P, betterhelp.com slash explained. Matthew Iglesias, you're the author of the Slow, Boring Newsletter. We're trying to figure out today why exactly President Biden has seemingly crashed and burned in recent months. Uh, and I was thinking we go alphabetical. Is that OK with you? Yeah, let's do it. A is for Afghanistan. It feels like this all begins back in August of 2021 with Afghanistan. Could you just remind us, Matthew, what happened there? What happened in Afghanistan is that Joe Biden made a kind of a, a bold decision, right? Which is that he had promised to bring troops home from Afghanistan to end the war. Bin Laden is dead and al-Qaeda is degraded in Iraq, in Afghanistan. And it's time to end the forever war. That was very popular. Uh, Donald Trump promised the same thing. It's time, after all these years, to go and to bring our people back home. Barack Obama promised the same thing. By the end of 2014, the Afghans will be fully responsible for the security of their country. But the Obama administration and the Trump administration, they both knew that if you actually brought the last troops home, some ugly stuff would unfold. And they both found ways to kind of kick the can down the road and leave this as a problem for their successor. Um, and lots of terrible things happened in Afghanistan in the last two years of the Obama administration, in the four years of the Trump administration, but they didn't get much attention. Uh, Biden said at the time, he said, you know, I am not going to leave this problem for my successors the way my predecessors left it for me. Uh, and that meant, though, that he he took the heat. Tonight, the Taliban parading what it says is some of the billions of dollars worth of American weapons and equipment they now have in their arsenal. There was an incredible amount of attention suddenly on bad things happening. The withdrawal was very chaotic. And Afghans who helped America's military effort are stuck too. A lot of people got to say, well, I agreed with the idea of bringing the troops home, but, you know, I would have done it in some other way. And, and you know, maybe there could have been a better way to do it. But I think fundamentally, there's no great way to, like, admit defeat on a war. Um, and that's why we've seen time and again presidents try not to actually do this. Uh, Biden thought, you know, he could ride it out. Um, his numbers at the time were pretty good. Uh, there was strong public approval for leaving Afghanistan. But when people watched it play out, um, he took a lot of criticism in, you know, mainstream media outlets like CNN and The New York Times that have been quite friendly to him. His refusal to acknowledge that this has not gone the way they expected is kind of surprising to me. It really hurt his numbers, at least temporarily. Come on, man. Even though Afghanistan went so badly and approval numbers dropped, Biden did sort of manage to pivot the national conversation to this massive spending plan he had. B is for build back better. That didn't work out either. 
it hasn't worked out so far. I mean, we'll we'll see what happens with it. Um, you described it as a massive spending plan. And to me, that's the biggest problem that he's had there. Uh, for reasons related to how the filibuster works, Democrats decided that their best chance of getting things done was to take a whole bunch of individual ideas, kind of rope them together into this one package, and try to pass it through the Senate. Um, if they'd managed to get that done really, really quickly— We'd all be looking back and saying, you know, what geniuses, they're masterminds, they understood the process. Uh, but what happened instead is, you know, it's proven difficult to negotiate the terms of a multi-trillion dollar spending bill, which I think is not that unusual. But it means that we keep hearing a big debate about a massive spending bill or a debate about numbers. Are we going to spend $1.8 trillion or are we going to spend $1.5 trillion? People don't have the perception that Joe Biden is fighting for hearing benefits for senior citizens, or that Joe Biden is fighting to expand access to preschool for three- and four-year-olds, and nothing is happening, right? So the story every day is like people are yelling at Joe Manchin, or Joe Manchin is mad at more liberal senators. And it's just a kind of a, a bad look. It's frustrating to progressives who want to get things done. It's frustrating to moderates who want to see people kind of getting together. And I think to normal people, it's just a little removed from what is worrying them in their daily lives. It's not, it's not really what anybody wants. Give me a break. Need time. The president's been catching a lot of heat for his handling of this Omicron variant. See? Is for COVID. Especially his press secretary going out there and saying, what do you want us to do? Mail every American a COVID test and then... The federal government will purchase one half billion, that's not million, billion with a B, additional at-home rapid test with delivery starting in January. I guess that could be seen as, you know, the White House adjusting to this pandemic, but it also is seemingly a sign the White House wasn't ready for this variant, yeah? I mean, you know, they're in a a tough position, right? I mean, they, they started off with a lot of momentum. We were in a very bad shape in the winter of 2020-21. Uh, there was a really, you know, big surge in cases, but uh, vaccinations were rolling out. And I think the idea was we were going to focus a lot of attention on the logistics of the vaccine rollout, which is something the Trump administration hadn't really done. People were going to get off these waiting lists, and then everything was going to be great. I feel confident that uh, by summer we're going to be well on our way to heading toward herd immunity. Once variants started arising, you know, they wound up in trouble, right? Because what Biden had said during the campaign trail is that I'm going to shut down the virus, not shut down the economy. But since it hasn't proven possible to shut down the virus, there's now this tension, right, between what do you do? Uh, a lot of people have been vaccinated um, and at this point are not that worried about COVID and mostly want to see a normalization of the situation. Uh, but then a lot of people continue to be very worried about COVID and they feel that Biden promised to be the COVID hawk president. They're torn because Biden promised to beat the virus and get us back to normal. And I think it's now clear that you can't do that. Right. You could do more to fight the virus in terms of imposing restrictions and rules on people's conduct, but that would make the situation less normal. Or you can encourage a return to normalcy and, you know, tell people, go out, do whatever, uh, you know, see Spider-Man at the movies, live your lives. But that's going to mean that the virus spreads and that particularly unvaccinated people are going to get sick and die in large numbers. America, I'm here to tell you 
There's one simple thing you can do to make this whole virus go away. Stop seeing Spider-Man. So then sometimes they come out and they say, well, you know, it's a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Everybody should get their boosters. And to some people, that sounds very sensible. To other people, it sounds callous. To the unvaccinated themselves, they are mad that he's pushing vaccines. You know, it's challenging. Biden made big promises as to what he was going to be able to achieve on COVID. And he's achieved, I think, you know, not as much as he said he could. President Biden kicked off the week with some pretty blunt profanity when he was asked about... I is for... Inflation. What a stupid son of a bitch. Is it fair to call this another Biden blunder? I mean, people are blaming him for it. I think that it is true that if he had done a smaller uh, stimulus deal back in uh, the early weeks of his presidency, that there would probably be less inflation today. What's hard to know is, would people actually be happier? Uh, Because we would have more unemployment, uh, we would have less real output, you know, various other things like that. Uh, We know that inflation is happening globally, um, so it's not a strictly U.S. phenomenon. But at the same time, inflation is higher in the United States than it is in other countries uh, that have done less stimulus. And here's one where I really think we're going to have to see how it shakes out three, six, nine, 12 months from now, right? If inflation goes down and particularly inflation of sort of um, energy and food commodities falls down, and then you have wages that are rising very rapidly, then I think all these other good things that are happening, very low unemployment rate, rapid nominal wage growth, much faster jobs recovery than we saw in the past three recessions, people are going to say, this is amazing. You know, we're firing on all cylinders. Uh, On the other hand, if we get more bad news about commodity production, whether that's bad weather, uh, geopolitical problems with Russia, you know, it can be a very bad look. Um, for Biden, because he did pursue this very stimulative macroeconomic policy, which is not at all the only reason there's inflation, but it contributed to it. And and all presidents are the owners of the economic situation that they preside over. Um, and that's always been the case, whether it's really their fault or not. That's a great asset. More inflation. Skipping down to V is for voting rights. Most recently, Biden went all in on a couple of voting rights bills, and that seemed to go very poorly, too. What happened there? I mean, this is the one where I'm kind of baffled. The Biden administration, following cues from Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, he he took this legislation that he, he knew they didn't have 50 votes in the Senate to end the filibuster and get it passed. And they seemed to think that if they just turned up the temperature on it, that there was some chance that the recalcitrant senators would buckle. Do you want to be the side, the side of Dr. King or George Wallace? Do you want to be on the side of John Lewis? Or Bull Connor. It's really unusual for a party to put on the agenda an issue that is going to divide its own caucus and unite the opposition. You normally don't do that, right? There's lots of bills filed in Congress every year. There's lots of things that, like, many Democrats support, but some of them don't. Normally what you expect to see is them pick up the ones that unify their caucus and talk about that. Whether it's ones that pass or ones that Republicans filibuster, it's just you want to present a united front and divide your enemies. To deliberately divide yourself 
it is very unusual. Um, to make a case for it, they think this legislation is incredibly important on the merits, or at least they say they do. Um, and so even if there was only a small chance of success, they felt that they had to go for it. I would question that logic. I mean, I, this was one where I feel like they wanted to show they were trying and they only embarrassed themselves. Support for Today Explained comes from Indeed. Hiring can be difficult. You can hope and pray and ruminate on how to find the perfect candidate, or you can turn to something more reliable, a smart piece of technology like Indeed's matching engine. According to Indeed, that matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences for job candidates, so it becomes more accurate over time. The more you use it, the better it gets. Indeed also lets you ditch some of the busy work, scheduling, screening, messaging. According to Indeed data, they have over 350 million global monthly visitors. They also did a survey that showed 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Listeners of Today Explained will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Today Explained. You can go to Indeed.com slash Today Explained. Let them know you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Today Explained. Terms and conditions do apply. Need to hire? Asks Indeed. You need Indeed. What a stupid son of a bitch. Matthew, we just ran through the ABCs of Biden's blunders. But tell me, why does it feel like he just doesn't really know what he's doing right now? I think that you oftentimes see this with presidents when the economic fundamentals are going poorly for them, their approval ratings get low, and then they attract a lot of criticism. Like, why is he making this mistake? Why is he making that mistake? And then they try to respond to critics out there, and the responses don't really work, which makes them look more kind of incompetent. And you get this downward spiral and, oh, it's an administration in crisis. I, I do think it's important to remember that most people people just don't pay that much attention to politics or to the news. And that what's actually playing out in reality in terms of COVID cases and economics matters so much more than these kind of day-to-day decisions about what message do you put out or what tactics do you use. But it's like you're talking about things that are, are somewhat out of his control, but it feels like this mansion and cinema thing is more sort of illustrative of of just this, you know, decades-long experienced senator just fundamentally misunderstanding the things that he should fully understand. I mean, he spent nearly 40 years as a senator, but he's so spectacularly unsuccessful at convincing two of his colleagues to support his legislation. How do we explain that? Biden is a very experienced U.S. senator. Um, He knows a lot about how this stuff works. And he has shown, I think, some real aptitude in surprising people with his ability to get certain things done. One of the biggest problems that he ran into is that he was so good at convincing Cinema and Manchin and the more moderate Democratic senators to back him on the American Rescue Plan that I think it created unrealistic expectations. This historic legislation 
is about rebuilding the backbone of this country and giving people in this nation, working people, middle class folks, uh, people who built the country a fighting chance. When they first rolled out that $1.8 trillion proposal, I was on a briefing call with other journalists and they were explaining it and I was taking my notes. And, you know, I put in the notes that, like, this seems to me like it's an opening bid, right? Like, there's no way Congress is actually going to do this. And, you know, I checked with other people I knew, outside experts, economists, and that was their consensus, right? That this was Biden kind of throwing some stuff out there uh, to start the negotiations. But he got almost exactly what he asked for. Despite Republicans' criticism over its size, the package was hailed as a triumph for Biden and a showcase of democratic unity when it passed the Senate. And that made people think, oh my God, you know, maybe he's going to do it again. Maybe this extremely narrow legislative majority is going to create a blossoming of incredible progressive change. And ever since then, he's been trying to do that with Build Back Better, with voting rights, with with some other things, and it hasn't been working. And we're getting the volume of legislation that I think you would expect from a 50-50 Senate, which is not that much, right? If you just kind of told somebody in 2017, imagine a world in which the Senate split 50-50, how much, how much stuff do you think is going to pass? You'd say, yeah, probably not that much stuff. And, and what does happen, you know, will probably be bipartisan. So I think that, you know, there's a slide toward that reality, but it's been a long road because Biden has been trying to get more done than the outcome really supports. Is the reason we're seeing him fail that he's trying to pressure Mansion and Cinema into, you know, doing his bidding in public? Is that the strategy that's sort of fundamentally flawed here? Because to pivot to voting rights only to have Cinema come out the next day and say she has no interest in changing the filibuster rules feels like it all just could have been avoided by picking up the phone and saying, "Hey Senator Cinema, what are you going to do if I do this?" Biden, and it's not just Biden personally, right? It's Chuck Schumer and it's Nancy Pelosi. None of them have wanted to be the ones who deliver the bad news to progressives that they didn't do that well in the 2020 elections, that they ran a couple points behind Biden in Congress, and they just don't have the votes to enact this sweeping progressive agenda. So you keep seeing a kind of a game of hot potato in which each leader will say, well, it's the other one's job to come deliver now. As we all know, much more needs to be done, but we have made great progress in this year. And the hot potato kind of got tossed to the White House to be like, why don't you turn up the temperature on this? In the last hour, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki put out that statement and was referencing it. It's pretty long, it's pretty dense, and it's all about Joe Manchin. Normally, the majority leader of the Senate is someone you'd expect to say, like, um, hey, Joe, like, let's don't make us talk about voting rights. You know, um, I don't have Cinnamon Manchin. But Schumer wanted the White House to do this. Uh, the groups wanted the White House to do it. And so they did. And it, I think, makes everyone look really dumb. But it's a kind of a... A consensus position in progressive circles was that you got to go for it. And it has succeeded in making everyone mad at Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema rather than mad at Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden, which, you know, your mileage may vary in terms of how valuable that is as a long run outcome. But it's part of the game that's being played. Mm. Do you think he needs a a better Senate whisperer? Could that turn some of these recent fails around? 
Joe Biden has a strong personal relationship with Joe Manchin, but the staff in the White House is much more heavily populated by people from the progressive wing of the party. There's a lot of sort of Elizabeth Warren type people working at at high levels of of the administration. And, you know, there's a lot of smart people. Um, She's a very popular figure among uh, like young, ambitious, uh, highly intelligent policy thinkers. But they don't necessarily have a great rapport with or understanding of the kind of most marginal uh, members of of the Senate caucus. They put a lot of stock in Biden's ability to kind of personally sell these moderate senators on things. And it it worked on the American Rescue Plan. Um, The problem is, I think Manchin's view is that the White House kind of used their credibility on that, right? They said, you know, trust me, we really need this. Um, And so now he's much more skeptical. Whereas I think the White House's hope had been, well, if it works once, it'll work again. Hmm. You know, you used the word normal earlier that that President Biden really promised to get us back to normal. He was going to be a normal president. It felt like he did a reasonable job of that in 2021, but is off to a really rough start in 2022. Do you think he's maybe lost sight of the normalcy of that vision that he promised? I think there's been a tension in Biden's sort of political persona where a lot of the time, you know, he's been seen as the avatar of normalcy. He was the vice president under Trump's predecessor. He was criticized a lot in the primary by more left-wing people who said, you know, all he's going to want to do is like get rid of Trump and not do bad tweets, uh, blah, blah. But Biden has also promised a lot of substantive policy changes. And you can see that he himself is is torn, right, between taking incredible pride in a bipartisan infrastructure bill that kind of defied the critics and showed that he could bring Democrats and Republicans together to go past something, but wanting to say to the progressive base, like, no, the haters are wrong. I can deliver on your agenda. And, you know, he can deliver bipartisan legislation. He has done it. Um, he's halfway through a- another bipartisan bill called USICA, uh, aimed at kind of boosting American science funding. But what he can't deliver in a bipartisan way is the progressive agenda. And he has been very committed uh, over this past fall and winter to saying, you know, he's going to do that. He's not going to give up on Build Back Better. He's not going to give up on voting rights. But just refusing to give up doesn't get that stuff done. Um, The side of Biden who's good at doing deals is a side that recognizes you have to listen to what the members of Congress actually want to do and then just kind of get on board with that. But the side of him that wants to deliver, the side of his team that wants to deliver on this transformative change is pushing for more than that. And how does that play out in advance of the midterms? I mean, the reason that it feels somewhat perplexing that he's taking all these L's to kick off the year is that it is, of course, an election year and his majority is literally as thin as it can be. This is a tension that is familiar from earlier presidencies. On the one hand, you know, it would probably do Democrats well to uh, be more moderate, you know, to just like cut some really small board deals, pass some stuff, uh, pat everybody on the back, stop talking about transformative change, be a little bit more popular. That would reduce their losses in the midterms. At the same time, when you're sitting there and you're like, okay, we've got this majority for, you know, 10 more months, and then we're going to lose it, the pressure's on to deliver. 
right? And so it, it pushes people in both directions. And you saw this with Republicans and the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act in 2017. You saw it with Democrats and the Affordable Care Act in 2010. Um, and, and, you know, the incumbent party gets kind of torn between duck and cover before the political backlash comes for us and get as much done as we can before the political backlash comes for us. Uh, people usually reconcile this by saying, well, voters will be angry if we can't show them that we've delivered on our promises. But there's really little evidence that that's true. You know, I think voters would like Biden to deliver cheaper gasoline and groceries. They would like him to deliver less spread of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. But they are not that invested in the progressive agenda, right? I mean, there are not thousands of people rallying in the streets for Build Back Better uh, or for the Voting Rights Act. You know, there is just not a lot of public engagement with these debates, whereas people have these day-to-day problems in their lives. You know, they're either worried about the virus or they're worried that virus-related restrictions are hurting them. Uh, They're worried about their job and their cost of living and, and stuff like that. And the only thing that would really work is to make those things better, not to kind of pass big picture policy change. Matthew Iglesias, he writes the Slow Boring newsletter. You can find that at slowboring.com. I'm Sean Ramosferum. Our episode today was produced by Miles Bryan, edited by Matthew Collette, engineered by Afim Shapiro. Fact checked by Laura Bullard, Halima Shah, Will Reed. Hadi Mawagdi and Victoria Chamberlain work here too. Afim Shapiro is our director of sound. Amina Alsadi is our supervising producer. Noel King is our future co-host. Liz Kelly Nelson is Vox's VP of audio. We use music by Breakmaster Cylinder and Noam Hassenfeld. And Today Explained is part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. <laughs> <laughs>